Hello, adventurers, and welcome to Season 2, Episode 9 of the World of Azuria podcast. My name is Beth Ball, and I'm the author of the Age of Azuria epic fantasy series, which we'll be exploring in this show. In some episodes, we'll be swept away into the magical world of Azuria as I read chapters from the novels and stories. In others, we'll dive into the lore behind Azuria, and I'll answer your questions about the world, characters, and more. If you enjoy epic fantasy worlds, immersive settings, nature-based magic, and vivid characters, then this podcast is for you. In our second season, we're traveling through Buried Heroes, book one in the Age of Azuria series. Today, I'll be reading from chapter six, where we return to Yvain's side, meet one of my favorite characters, and find out what happened after the avalanche. To discover what happens before new episodes are released every Tuesday, you can find Buried Heroes for free at bethballbooks.com shop or at your favorite book retailer. And I just want to apologize really quickly for the lag between our most recent episodes. I've been working really hard to release Amber Queen book three in the series, and I'm so excited to say that it is now available for pre-order on all your favorite bookstores. It is Amber Queen, and oh, I just love it so much. Right now, it's probably, I don't know, it, I think it's my favorite in this series. There's so much action, and the the scale is just getting bigger and bigger and grander, and it's just a really, really exciting novel. I had so much fun writing it, and I cannot wait to share it with you. So it is available now for pre-order, and it releases August 31st. Um, but before we, I guess for now, let's continue with our adventure in Buried Heroes. We can't find her anywhere, Vara. Yvain turned her searching gaze from the mountainside to Aralina, one of the Saldad rangers in front of her. That's not possible. Keep looking. Have Cassian and his people come back from inside the hold? Not yet. Send someone to uncover what they found. Aralina nodded and strode away through the snow. Any number of disasters could have befallen Eoliath after her arrival here. But Lucian couldn't have adapted so quickly to the half-elf surprise relocation, especially as his servants were ready and waiting for her in Hadvar. The cold wind whipped at her ears, and Yvain drew the black furred collar tighter around her neck. Vara, Yvain, Vara! A heavily accented voice alighted on the wind and glided toward her. Down the mountain, Persephone, one of the youngest members of the scouting party, rushed up the steep slope, a blur of amethyst and sapphire. Persephone! A familiar voice cried from the recently excavated entrance. Tall and broad-shouldered, Cassian, the saddled leader, cast a dark silhouette against the mountain. He waded through the snow to Yavin's side as his daughter scrambled up Torg's peak to meet them. The bright-eyed young woman sprang forward and grabbed hold of Yavin's hand in her excitement. I saw it, just over there. You saw what, Sephi? Cassian's smile shone against his brown skin. The giant, he is buried in the snow. Persephone pointed down the mountain after her trail of footprints. The howling winds kicked up drifts of snow that decreased visibility and prevented Yvain from seeing the hulking form silhouette below. If the amulet had woken the ice giant, it must have awoken the warrior as well. And since the giant had been felled, and there was so far no trace of the warrior or the girl, this was something to pin their hopes on at least. And no sign of Yelioth? No, Mr. Sivin, but the giant, he was lying like this. She raised an arm over her head and clutched her fingers into a fist. He was holding a large club that was stuck in the ice, and he made a terrible face. She screwed her striking features into a snarl. So he probably was angry. Maybe it's Elioth. That would be a welcome turn of fate. 
I will pray for Cassandra's guidance and keep looking, Datha. Persephone grinned at Cassian and bounded away through the snow. Please forgive, Yavin. Sefi is... His voice trailed off as he watched her rise and fall in the undulating snowdrifts. She has a gift, the eye of Cassandra to see the future, like her mother. The pride ripped plainly across his face, accentuated the Saudad's handsome features. Cassandra, their most treasured goddess, bestowed the gifts of foresight and divination on her followers. That's how you knew to come and find me. Among other senses, yes. He gave her a characteristic Saudad smirk and returned his attention to Persephone's progress. Strangling cold fingers of terror had gripped Yvain's heart when she realized she could no longer sense Elias' whereabouts, but now, one by one, they loosened their hold. The Sada people created an aura of calm in spite of the fact that they often faced what was darkest in Azuria. They had served as Yvain's eyes and ears through the ages, and she would continue to trust them now. Yvain! Dotha! Persephone called to them. Her dark hair and gem-colored clothing glimmered brightly against the shining white environs. The girl bent down and pulled something out of the snow, tendrils of flowing garnet caught on the wind. "'By the raven, she's found her,' Cassian whispered, but Yvain was already rushing ahead. His longer stride matched hers after a few moments, and he passed her, laughing, as he kicked up snow behind him in his wake. Tiny blades of ice lashed Yvain's skin as she ran against the wind, but no amount of hostile weather could tear her eyes from the frozen half-elf Persephone carefully extracted from the snow. The mountain, cursed long ago to hold in his heart a champion of fire, was furious that they'd arrived and extracted his secrets. Cassian slid to a stop beside Persephone, and Yvain arrived just behind him. Her leather boots crunched through the compact snow. She collapsed to her knees next to the young woman, anxious to provide a second shield for Elioth. Cassian had a similar idea and wrapped his arms around Persephone and her charge. She's breathing. Persephone looked into Yvain's eyes, her own glistening from happiness and the biting cold. The pent-up tension in Yvain's shoulders and chest released in a deep sigh, and she laid a black-gloved hand against the back of Elioth's head. Elenai, Ambrosea, Yvain murmured. The life-giving incantation of the druidic faith melted the frost around Elioth's lips and eyes, and the half-elf's breath deepened alongside Yvain's. It was too dangerous for her, to, for her to exert her power over the natural world to cause the storm to cease, but this was delicate enough to remain beneath their enemy's notice. She will be all right now, Varivine. Oh, she will stay with us and join the Saudade? Excitement glittered across Persephone's expression as she looked from Yvain to her father and back before she returned her gaze to the young woman she'd found beneath the snow. Cassian's eyes were compassionate, touched by his daughter's sentiment, and a flicker of hope at the turn in their fortunes thawed a sliver of the frozen doubt Yvain kept insulated within. No one had looked at her with that degree of warmth for some time, but the glance's balmy halo sparked an idea. For now, Persephone, we will take her to a place of shelter, and she can decide where she would like to go next. Persephone bit her lip but nodded. The enthusiasm that had flared so quickly faded from her expression. Lucian and his followers would be here in a few days, among other places in Kaldara. He would have been alerted the moment Eliot didn't arrive in Hadvar with her family. They needed to relocate her to a place of at least temporary protection. It had been some time since she had called on the Kaldaran druids. However, Yvain said, and the girl's eyes grew wide, she will need a friend in the Vagervel wood. How might you feel about helping her? A world of cold darkness gave way to prickling warmth. Elias' eyes fluttered beneath their lids, and slowly, she returned to herself. 
to a dull but extensive engulfing pain. Her entire body ached and a great weight pressed on her. She blinked to clear her vision and pressed against the restraining force before she collapsed back. A hazy shape separated itself from its surroundings and hurried toward her, accompanied by the tinkling sound of light wooden bangles clinking against one another. Easy now, a low lyrical voice said over her. You've been out a few days. No need to hurry yourself just when you're waking. The unfamiliar face slowly came into focus. The woman's dark brown skin was warm like the walnut trees in the arboretum, and her eyes were even darker than scads, but lit from within by shimmering flecks of copper. Plump mauve lips curved upward on the ends as she studied Elioth. She pulled her gaze from the woman's dramatic features to her immediate surroundings. The mist clouding her sight cleared enough to solve the mystery of the weight. A pile of heavy furs and blankets pinned her to the ground. My name is Mara. You're safe here. Mara sat beside her and laid her arm delicately on the stacked fabrics. Where am I? Elioth craned her neck again. The wooden wall directly beside her was the only unadorned surface in the cramped round room. Across from her, an aged olive-green cabinet held countless jars and leather-bound tomes stacked precariously beside crystals, feathers, and wooden bowls. A low table bridged the distance between the cabinet and a small kitchen organized around a large fireplace, engorged with blazing logs and glowing embers. A few feet behind Mara, an etched silver room divider hid the circular hut's remaining contents, but Elioth assumed she kept a dressing area behind the intricately crafted decoration. Here, let me assist you. Mara placed a warm palm on Elioth's back and gently helped her sit up. She peered at Elioth for longer than was polite before she gave another warm smile, pulled a dark green shawl from the end of the pile of furs and blankets and wrapped it around her shoulders. That color suits you well, Mara said. I just put the kettle on for tea, so we will be quite cozy in a moment. But first, to answer your question, Lady Amastasia, you are in the northern reaches of the Stormside Forest, in the Vagervale Wood, near the foothills of the Frostmall Mountains. Elioth drew back from the stranger. How do you know my name? We know many things about you, but don't be alarmed. We're here to help. How many of you are there? No one else was in the hut, which meant they could be waiting for her on the other side of the animal skin door. If she ran and made it beyond the entrance, how far might she get before they caught her? And then what would they do? A wave of nausea coursed up her throat at the thought of her stepfather negotiating the terms of her release. Elioth. Mara laid a few fingers lightly on her shoulder, and she flinched away. Distress flickered across Mara's expression, and she withdrew her hand. I promise that no harm will come to you while you are in my care. Can you trust me? She should say yes, regardless. A low whistle began by the fireplace, and Mara glanced at the tea kettle. But wait, it couldn't be. Elongated tips of sharply pointed ears emerged between her curling black locks. You're an elf, she said. I thought there were none left in Kaldara save the few who live in Hadvar. That I am, and I am not the only one either. But before you ask, no, dear, I am afraid I do not know your father. How did this person know so much about her, when she hadn't even known there were elves living in the Stormside Forest? Mara mistook her doubt for disappointment and lowered her eyes. Let me see about that tea I promised you. Elioth sat up straighter in her absence and looked for her clothes. Besides the evergreen shawl, she was wearing only a thin shift in her undergarments, but she couldn't spy her satchel among the scattered piles of Mara's collections. The metal kettle kissed the tops of the ceramic mouths with a soft clink, and the sudden dryness of Elioth's throat threatened to choke her. I believe I've taken a presumptive tactic that was unwise, Mara said. 
She turned with two cups and saucers and picked her way across the cramped hut to return to Aelith's side. There's much for you to know, but perhaps it would make you feel more comfortable to tell me your understanding of what happened. What is the last thing you remember? Why should I answer? You still haven't said how you know who I am. I don't wish to be rude, but how many choices do you have at this exact moment? Set aside the litany of things you've undoubtedly been told might happen to a noblewoman out in the world and tell me this. What does your intuition say about your present circumstances? Her mother's warnings faded, as did her half-sister's wild fantasies that glorified her own importance, as though anyone would wish to kidnap her. If Mara had wanted to harm her, she likely would have already. Why wait till she woke up? She cast back and tried to recall how long she had been unconscious, but the time floated in opaque storm clouds around her. There was no reason to not be wary, but she could try to trust Mara and remain alert at the same time. It says that if you wished to hurt me, you would have, or that you would poison my tea. Mara's laugh brightened her dimly lit dwelling. Very well, very well. We will make our peace with that for now. I can assure you that your tea is not poisoned, and that it will help revive your circulation after your tenure beneath the mountain snows. She took a sip from her own cup and nodded encouragingly to Aelith. But I am most curious, at present, about how you came to be on Torg's Peak. The mountain can be treacherous at any time of year. He doesn't recognize seasons like the rest of us. You found me underneath the snow? Some of my dear friends did, and they brought you to me. I promise that you will meet everyone in good time. There's a beautiful young Sarad woman desperate to make your acquaintance. The Sarad? Really? Your arrival has created a great deal of excitement among my community and our more exotic allies, but your recovery is of the utmost importance. So, the mountain, do you remember anything? I remember all of it. Yelith recounted her mother's scream and the mist transmigration. She told Mara of the intricate murals and the great battle they depicted. She felt again the ice creature's piercing of her skin when she reached that part of the story and, when she raised her arm as proof, found the wound half the size it had been. Surely this was more than a week's worth of healing in only a few days' time. "'I have been carefully attending to your arm to ward off infection,' Mara said when Elioth paused to stare at her forearm. "'We will wrap it again soon.' Elioth grew more cautious after her story self walked through the magical door into the hidden chamber and approached the statue of Marcone. He saved me from the frozen giant, she told Mara, but then he disappeared. It chased me out of the underground room. I climbed out of an opening in the wall on the far side, but it found another way out, too, and saw me again. I I was holding out my amulet, scared, wishing for... She wouldn't tell this stranger, however kind, about the connection she had long hoped the amulet possessed to her father. Well, wishing for help, and he appeared again in front of me. There was nothing, and then he was there. He tried to protect me as he had in the large chamber, but the giant swung at us. It missed, and we both flew through the air. The mountainside slid away. I think there may have been an avalanche. I, I just don't remember anything else. This statue man, did you speak to him? I did. Did he tell you his name? Yes. Perhaps I had been unwise to recount this story in such detail. Mara's eyes looked hungry, almost desperate. But if she wanted the elven woman to think she trusted her, she should give her this information at least. Marcon Calabra. Mara inhaled sharply, the curiosity in her eyes more than sated. My gods, Vraisal men, I can't believe it. Someone found him too, didn't they? 
Whoever located me on the mountainside, did they find him too? Dred clutched her stomach and pulled her insides toward the earth. No one saw him, Eolith. The earth tones that filled her vision swam before her, and Eolith fell back. Through a dark chasm, Mara's muffled cry reached her. The clash and jangle of something breaking, a warm splash against her chest, then arms around her shoulders, and a soft clasp at the back of her head. A rapid heartbeat thumped a soothing rhythm. She shook her head and blew away stray strands of hair from her eyes. Eliath ignored Mara's protestations and sat back up. She rested her chilled fingers on the back of her neck and, with her other hand, picked her amulet up off her breastbone and stared into the ruby center. Brown liquid dripped from the bottom of the hourglass. Mara leaned on her wrist in front of her and looked from the amulet into Eliot's eyes. Her concern melted away with her smile. That's right, Mara said. You nearly have it. Do you remember what you did before? How do you... What harm was there in confessing this last withheld secret in the ordeal if there was a small chance it could help them save Marcone? I was trying to call my father. Eliot's voice was soft. She'd only confessed this to Teodric before. He was the one person she knew would understand. The sides of Mara's eyes crinkled in sadness. I am impressed that you sensed what it does. Did this start at a young age? The knot in Eliot's throat blocked speech. She tried to mouth the words, but her lips wouldn't stop trembling. She nodded to indicate that yes, it had. Was Mara saying she truly could call her father through the amulet? I sense that you will be everything we've hoped for and more, Eliot Amastasia, but allow me to ease your mind first. Try what you did before, as closely as you can, but think of summoning the man you met instead of your father. But how would... This is one of those moments where I will ask you to trust me, and we will save questions for later. Calm your fears for the time being. Try to call him. Eliot closed her eyes and took herself back to the swirling turmoil of those final moments on the mountain. An agent of death charging toward her, her wish for her father, and the rune-covered warrior's appearance instead. She fluttered her eyelids open. Nothing happened. She glanced at Mara, who smiled encouragingly. Go on, keep trying. This time, Eliot spoke. She owed Marcone that much. He had saved her twice without question. Marcone, she whispered. Please come if you can hear me. I am sorry about what happened, but I want to know that you're all right. We are... She overturned stacks of words in her mind, hurriedly searching for what he might respond to. We're safe here. When she said the final words, Eliot believed them. Not necessarily because of Mara's assurances, but if she knew how the amulet worked and what it did, the rest could be true as well. The center of her amulet glowed. Pale, brilliant rays shot from its center, and the man from the mountain appeared again in the space in front of her, between Mara and the door. Marcone saw the crouching woman first and stepped back, muscles taut, prepared to defend himself. Woohoo! So, thank you so much for joining me for today's adventure through Buried Heroes and the World of Azuria. If you'd like to find out more about me or my fiction, you can find me at bethballbooks.com. You can also find my books worldwide at your favorite bookstore or ask your local librarian to add them to the library catalog. To stay up to date with the world of Azuria and be the first to know about upcoming fiction projects, visit bethballbooks.com join. I would love for you to be a part of my reading community, The Story Enclave, and as a special thanks to you for a limited time, you'll receive a free ebook copy of Aurora when you sign up. If you'd like to connect with me, you can find me on Instagram at BethBallAuthor or on Twitter at GroveGuardian, or you can email me, Beth at BethBallBooks.com. 
Today's episode is sponsored by Story Magic, the newest book in the Age of Azuria series. Story Magic recounts the lore of Azuria, interwoven with the story of Persephone Arell, whom you just met. You can get your copy of Story Magic at bethballbooks.com shop or at your favorite bookseller. If you enjoyed our time together today and would like to hear more stories set in Azuria, you can support the podcast on Patreon at patreon.com slash groveguardianpress. Look for the Fae and Damon Tears. We will return to Buried Heroes next Tuesday, June 22nd for Chapter 7. The theme for this podcast was created by Garrett Rose of The Bardic Inspiration, who you can find on Instagram or Patreon at The Bardic Inspiration. Happy travels, and I hope that we'll be adventuring together again soon. Mm-hmm.